spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week, the show is going to be fire. It's episode 366 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I say that because we've got Rochelle Neal, who plays Bonfire Annie, and by the way, Vinny Heaven, who plays Nimble on the Nevers to talk about what's left of the first part of the season and what's going to be, I think, a very interesting pairing between these two. Also, by the way, Adam Sackman joining me this week to talk about DC's Legends of Tomorrow and that big reveal about Gary. Oh, had so much fun chat with him. Can't wait for you to hear it. Also going to chat about Jupiter's Legacy. Give my review of that. Also going to give you a little bit of a review of Star Wars The Bad Batch and that premiere that happened on May the 4th be with you. There's some big nerd news to happen this week. A couple of sponsors on the show, too. You want to talk about getting more great food for your family. Got Green Chef sponsoring the show this week. Also, something wonderful that you might want to get for Mother's Day called Story Worth. I'll tell you what they're all about here coming up. But let's kick things off with the Nevers. Talk to Rochelle Neal and Vinny Heaven. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Echo Callum, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. So I know you guys are watching The Nevers, and I was paying attention to a very particular meeting in episode four that I just, it just sparked me right away, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for these two. It's Rochelle Neal, who plays Annie, and Vinny Heaven, who plays Nimble. How are you both doing today? Very well. How are you? This is Rochelle. Hi. It's weird. <laughs> Can you just hear our voices? They, they, yeah. There you go. That, that'll be the distinction between the two. <laughs> the voices of two people who are good we're all right <laughs> excellent excellent so both of your characters actually on the outside looking in initially when it comes to the members of the touched at the orphanage so give us a little bit of insight how they both view those women and what they're doing i think for nimble it's a real kind of voyeuristic outside view because nimble's interaction with them begins a little bit later on and is not particularly loyal so it's it's kind of like watching a beehive for nimble at the orphanage there's just constant activity there's constant noise you've definitely got a queen bee sitting in there and then you know should be bonfire (laughs) right oh we'll get to that we'll get to that right um yeah walking in alongside bonfire is definitely to back her for sure i would say and not necessarily the the current format that they have, the current leadership table. Yeah, no, I think Bonfire <laughs> is there reluctantly. I wouldn't say that she's there out of her own free will, but it wasn't an easy decision for her to make to, to join the orphanage. And then I think then meeting Nimble, I, I think that was such a breath of fresh air because you, they kind of, they counterbalance each other, you know. Bonfire can throw fire, Nimble can block fire. Um, they're both criminals. It's a bit like when you're uh, like first day of school and then you meet your best friend. Mm-hmm. That person, you're like, oh yeah, you and I are going to get into a load of shit together. And I um, I think that was needed because I don't think Bonfire wanted to join the orphanage. Like she's just not that girl. She's not going to sit around in, in a room with everyone singing Kumbaya and sleeping on bunk beds. You know, where's my sweet, darling? <laughs> where's my sweet? Like, I don't know. Right, right. Now, Rochelle, I actually want to go back and ask you a bit about the dynamic between Bonfire and, and Amalia, because it's it's a powder keg for sure. But 
But I think it's a really interesting one too. So what is it about that relationship that makes Annie want to challenge her? Or do you feel like that's just her out? Al- is she just an alpha personality in general? Yeah, I think she's 100% an alpha. But I think it comes from always having to look after herself. Like she's always been a bit of a lone wolf. And I think that there are so many things that have happened in her life that I'm sure we'll explore later on that has led her to be very self-sufficient. So I, I don't think she gives up her her vulnerability to to people very easily and I don't think like she can look after herself so she doesn't need Amalia or anyone to look after her so I think that there will always be that power struggle between the two but however I think I I don't know if I'm it's spoilers I don't know if it's spoilers but I do I do think that eventually the two characters will come to some form of understanding and mutual respect otherwise it's just not going to work really Mm -hmm. you can't have two alphas mad dogging each other the whole time you know you sort of have to have some equilibrium otherwise it will just it will never work but yeah it is tricky no doubt about it and Vinny for you we kind of just get a just a quick glimpse of what we're going to have from Nimble in episode four and and I think Rochelle described it beautiful it's like there's a spark there right so what is your favorite thing about playing Nimble oh wow that's such a big question I think that confidence in who they are for sure, their shoulders back, their chin up, big grin, hugely confident in whoever they're speaking to, whatever it is that they're tasked with doing, even in the most intense moments. And I, I quite envy that, actually. <laughs> I could probably do with that, having a bit more of that myself. Couldn't we um, all, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? We need to do some like Zoom classes where Nimble can teach us. <laughs> <laughs> can we get you, some of... You should copyright that. <laughs> Not mm-hmm. that, can we get some of Nimble's like fashion sense too? Because that style was on point. Right. I'm just saying, just saying. Honestly, it's really difficult to um, go back to normal life clothes after <laughs> a, a day's work. <laughs> For you, you know, too, Rochelle, quite frankly. Show. I mean, come on, right? You're, Dude, you're making I the am... hat work really well. I love the hat. I love the hat. Do you know how quick it is for me in hair and makeup like in the morning? <laughs> like, Here, put the this on. getting I've ever yeah. had. I literally was like, yeah. wow, you planned this really well, you know. Um, that is a fascinating thing, though. These two characters are so, like, they are quite hat-based, you know. There's, there, <laughs> right. there's a lot of, like, they're, ho- they're holding a lot in, in that kind of, you know, that ability to just have that sort of like darkened brow with a with a rim and there's of a like certain like, moves you can make eyebrow. too, right? Like you get the with, the with the eyes and stuff, and just be, be <laughs> give you that cool look, like yeah. Uh huh. I would say <laughs> I tilt mine to one side because I can only raise this eyebrow, my left. Oh, eyebrow. so you got to tilt it to a specific <laughs> side, okay? Yeah, it, <laughs> we'll keep an eye out for that. It. <laughs> uh-huh. It's required. It's just the hats. Honestly, you don't. It just gives you so much for free. Mm-hmm. So much bad, bad assery. Is that a word? Bad assery. It, it is, is now. That's a word. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You know, you were talking about both of your sets of abilities a couple minutes ago. I feel like they actually complement each other quite well. Like I can see Nimble creating these curveballs for for fireballs to go around and just spin them around corners and stuff like that. Have you have you both thought about how fierce this tandem could actually be and how they do kind of complement each other in that regard? Yeah. I think yeah. so. I think it's um I think every every day we did shooting together it is it's always an intense day. You know, they have such an intense 
magnetism between them it was quite exhausting for us <laughs> there are there are a couple of times in episode five where you'll see them together as well and it's that same sense of you know almost like being pulled together like the two sides of a magnet in that sense but equally mm -hmm. like if you get the opposite sides they can push each other and and defend themselves and repel mm -hmm. each other just as quickly as they can they can attract i think in a in a defensive it's, it's episode four where they're in the courtyard that's five. And we were, okay, well, I'm not going to say they that. They go from an alleyway to a... <laughs> there you go, from an alleyway. You're oh, slowly it, opening up your space of where you're going to be. Yeah. So pretty soon you'll be in a... At the, by the end, you'll be in a giant field together for all again. <laughs> Living happily ever after. But no, there's, there's, there's a bit where we're... There's a scene, and I don't know if it's four or five, so I don't want to spoil it, but it just... It sums up the dynamics so well. They're so playful. And there's so much banter and it is really powerful and it is really magnetic. And I do think that they are a good like team, but considering Bonfire doesn't, she doesn't do teams, but I do mm. think they are a good team. Sorry, you were going to say, I, I literally cut you off to make a really unimportant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, you said something that was really unimportant. Really now now I'm super looking forward to the courtyard because I think stuff's going to go down there. So I'm, I think it was very important, actually. Now, we actually saw, we're, let's talk about episode four again. It looks like the, the touch is finally getting closer to dealing with this larger threat, right? I mean, you, you, there's no teams here, obviously, like you said. But there's also just threats everywhere, regardless of your affiliation. So Annie doesn't seem rattled by Lord Masson at all or what he might have planned. But it seems like they kind of have a mutual enemy, Nimble and, and Annie, in the Beggar King as well. So what? where's her focus right now and actually their focus right now? And do you think Nimble has some sort of loyalties already or is that something we're still kind of unraveling here? It's to be unraveled. I think, you know, they they're very clear that they work with the Beggar King and not for. <laughs> so there's a very specific phrasing there. But I, I always just describe it as that there's no there's no clear loyalty for Nimble. Nimble is is for hire, for money or, you know, probably for sex or excitement, I imagine. <laughs> um, and, you know, who knows if the Beggar King will provide. <laughs> Honestly, episode five is wild. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's good to know. Um, but yeah, I think, interestingly, that where you meet them in four, there's is probably the first moment of a potential beginnings of loyalty to each other only in the sense that as you say they're both kind of a bit freer of the threats that are coming in for the other groups they're a bit more removed and a bit more detached and then they meet each other and it's like okay maybe there is something useful in kind of being you know less lonely in the freelance world of of thieves and i feel like right. they, they and i feel like they really throw annie off of her game too when 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 she meets nimble it's like oh who who you know doing nimble's things she's like whoa yeah look at this confidence this is wild I think it takes a lot to impress Annie. Like I think Bonfire is very, um, well, for her to be openly impressed by things. I think she'll have a yeah. quiet respect for someone, but for her to be openly like, wow, this is really cool. I think is a big thing. Cause I think even like when we see at the start of episode three, where she's nicking the docks off of, of the Beggar King, she's like, you know, he's done on these docks. And I think there's, I keep saying alpha, but like there's that confidence of, of knowing that she is, really able to take what she wants now especially with having such a formidable turn she can just take what she wants so she doesn't need to negotiate she doesn't need to even admire really she can just get on with it it's interesting for for bonfire too because in the beginning we see her with malady and then you go to the the to amalia's group and then now with nimble that's quite the 
one end of the spectrum to the other, if you ask me. So <laughs> talk about that, though. Talk about because, you know, things aren't exactly going well for Malady at the end of episode four either. What do you think that confrontation is going to be like if they do clash again at some point? And, and for you, Vinny, I mean, what would Nimble think of Malady? Because I can only imagine what that impression would be like. Yeah, no, I think I think when it comes to bonfire with Melody, it's all about money, like making money. They, it's like I think she's your friend if it serves her purpose, and Melody wasn't, so it didn't make any sense for her to stay in that partnership. She's fickle, but she's I don't know. I wouldn't say she's fickle. I think she's just honest, and and she doesn't. Like she's not worried about hurting someone's feelings or there isn't a sense of loyalty or anything. She's like, no, this works for me, so I'll, I'll hang out with you. And as soon as it stops, she leaves. I think, yeah, I, I think probably Nimble is good at seeing people past what people present. So almost like just having a, a, a deeper or a longer look at people. And I think, yeah, if, if those characters encounter each other, I think there would be a different reaction from Nimble to Malady. I don't think Malady would horrify nimble in the way that she does certain other people you know I think mm. coming from the life that nimble and bonfire would have had and you know the areas they would have come from it, it what probably wouldn't be so unusual to see somebody in that way or in that state even so I think it would be an empathetic but sort of stepped back <laughs> approach <laughs> and just you know letting people do their thing I think I think both of them I think bonfire is probably the same it's yeah, just letting absolutely. people kind of be as they are and do their thing because that's what you're needing of other people for yourself as well now I want to go yeah. back to something that Rochelle said a second ago because she said that episode five is wild I think it was Rochelle's that said that whoever said it if episode five is wild then <laughs> yeah. make sure you guys are watching on HBO <laughs> Sunday nights, nine o'clock with the Nevers also on HBO Max as well. If you're not caught up, get caught up because you don't want to miss episode five. We're heading towards the end of season one. It's Rochelle Neal, Vinny Heaven. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Oh, thank Thanks, you so James. much for having us. I certainly can't wait to see what kind of trouble these two are going to be getting into together. But I mean, there's only a couple of episodes left in this first part of the Nevers. So make sure you're watching episode five Sunday night at nine o'clock Eastern on HBO and HBO Max. Again, thanks to Rochelle Neal and Vinny Heaven for joining me this week. Up next, going to be joined by Adam Seckman, who plays Gary on DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Let's talk to that alien next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Sierra Nay, and I play Hawkgirl on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So you saw the reveal same as I did last week on DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Gary is an alien, so let's talk to that alien right now. It's Adam Sackman. James. Adam, what's up? I'm good. How you doing? Pretty good, man. Pretty good, man. Let's dive right in. So, I mean, the first question I had when I saw what happened with Gary in the premiere was, yeah. what is the deal with, with DC Universe and aliens hiding their true identity with glasses. It's like, hey, what'd you figure? It worked so well for Cal El. And hey, why not have Gary give it a try? Yeah, he's the he's the yin to Superman's yang. He is not all powerful. He has no skills or ability. So that that made it kind of fun. <laughs> I think you're selling yourself a little short there, Adam. Quite frankly, you've seen Gary be pretty resourceful <laughs> over the years. Come on. That's true. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, James. You're right. I'll stop selling Gary short. But, but in terms of his uh, ability to leap over it to fly and have laser eye beams out of his eyes and, ultimate, and super powerful and invincible, he has none of those things, sadly. 
But but I will say, Gary's glasses actually do hide his identity. Yes, they do. Thank you very much. As a matter of fact, I you know I kept going back. I actually watched some of the older episodes, and I'm thinking, were there any signs that Gary was an alien over the past couple seasons? Because I, I was totally taken by surprise by the whole thing. So how did you? When did you find out? what the plan was for him this season. And were you just as surprised as we were? Yeah, I found out at the end of last season, and I was definitely just as surprised as you were. But I think I think there are moments, if you look back in previous seasons, where, you know, the, the moment that immediately came to me was the was in the first episode of uh, season four in the, the famous unicorn nipple sequence. That classic unicorn nipple biting sequence yeah. you know, that every show has. That Gary then turns to Constantine because you know they need they need Gary because he's a virgin, and he turns to Constantine. And he's like, "Are you sure I'm a virgin?" Because like that thing we did, and then it kind of made me think, "Yeah, how, how does Gary not actually know what a virgin is?" And then I kind of thought, "Yeah, that makes me think maybe he doesn't really understand this species." That and is, how they work. How that they That is operate. such a DC's Legends of Tomorrow piece of evidence that you just gave, Adam. That, that just fits the show so well. <laughs> well, as you know, reproduction is very different in the Necrian species, which is the <laughs> which is Gary's species. So as we as we may learn, so if you know, I think Gary's lack of understanding makes a lot of sense in terms of season four that that moment we're talking about. No doubt about it. Now, it actually looks like Gary and Sarah are, are going to be able to spend a lot of time together this season. So talk about how fun it was to work with Katie so much and tease for us just how crazy your thing's going to get after what we saw in the premiere. It was amazing working with Katie. She's fantastic. She's really like an amazing lead of a show. She's so chill. She's so friendly. Like she just her vibe permeates through the whole production. And it's always she's so relaxed, so calm and fantastic really I, ha I had a great time working with her but still she could not teach me how to kick ass like she does so it's sad that i was hoping i'd be able to do some sweet roundhouses but james my my hip flexors just don't they just don't have the <laughs> they don't have the length i just can't quite get there you and but me both you and I, me both uh, yeah <laughs> And yoga but, does not uh, help, by the way. Well, it helps in terms of the, uh, it helps relieve a little bit of the tightness, but it's not going to get that roundhouse. It's not <laughs> no. going to get that, that, that height. <laughs> but no, it was, it was really great working with her and, and, you know, more hijinks to come for sure. No doubt about that. Now, we did get to know a little bit about Gary's alien life in this first episode, but will we actually get a chance to dive in a little deeper into that past as the season goes on? We will learn a little bit more about the past, but I think there's a lot more to learn. There's a lot of... He talks about... I don't know if it's... There is a whole piece about his family, but I don't know if it's... I'm not sure if it's going to be in the season or not. I don't know if it was cut or not, but... there. there there is a lot of backstory that I think we we have not yet learned, which is exciting. There's a lot more to explore there. Interesting. Interesting. Now, obviously, we all want Sarah's safe return because we want to see the wedding between Sarah and Ava at some point. The question that I have for you, though, Adam, is what do you think Gary's spot in that wedding party should be? Ava's best person? Where does he fit in here? Come on. Ooh, that's an interesting question. Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess he was flower boy at, at our previous wedding. And what season was that between Ray and Nora? Season five. That was season five. Season yeah, I think five. it was. Five. Yeah, it was, he was five. the flower boy. 
So in this hypothetical situation that you're bringing across, I guess he would be, what would be like a promotion from that? I guess he is closer to Ava. Could he, could he be the one? Uh, could he give her away? Maybe. Could he be the planner? Could he give her away? Give maybe? Her away. Wow. Wow. You never know. I mean, who's been you by her know. side That's... more other than Sarah? That's a good point. That's a great point, James. I don't know. I, I like that idea. I'm just saying. Just putting it out there. We'll see what, what happens. What about wedding planner? What about planner? Oh, oh yes. That would be perfect. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to Adam Sackman, who plays Gary on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, which you're already watching every Sunday on the CW. Now, I know your characters haven't crossed paths yet, Adam, but we met Spooner in the premiere, and it seems like you know she's going to be sticking around for a bit. So, I mean, you've been around the Legends for a while. How do you think she's going to fit in with the group? Oh, she's going to fit in perfectly. She has fit in perfectly. She's a really fun, badass character. Lissette, who portrays her, is fantastic. I love her. Now, you talked about not being able to work on your roundhouse there, Adam, but, I mean, the only thing cooler than being an alien would be a magic alien. So are you actually hoping to get Gary back into uh, Constantine's apprenticeship at some point this season? Yeah, because I do feel like, you know, with all of those tentacles, like how many different little tentacles of fireballs and like spell balls like Gary could throw with his tentacles. But the problem is, here's the issue. The issue is he can't quite, like the voice box for the alien is so different that I don't think the spells are going to work oh, unless true. he's in human form. So yeah, it's like the, his, his apprenticeship only works when he's in human form, sadly. It's like a, a dog who can't quite voice words. There, I guess there are some of those dogs that you see in some videos where they can sort of talk, but not really. <laughs> interesting, interesting developments. So now I know that you can't reveal any spoilers about the upcoming episode, Adam, but this coming week's episode, there's a very famous face that we're going to meet from history. So without spoiling anything, how much fun were those scenes and how perfect was it to have this particular historical historical figure in this particular situation? Look, Gary is in love with powerful women uh, in the present and throughout history. And so I think he really uh, is excited about this one because she's in the canon of greatest of all time. She would be in the, in the hall of fame, but I think Gary's a little, uh, Gary's wariness never evades him. It's always front and center. So <laughs> that wariness will hopefully save them. Really quickly. Well, of course it has to save them. They don't want to, they can't die. Right, exactly. Yeah, we, we kind of need this show to keep going, Adam. We, we've, got, we've got plenty more episodes <laughs> to go. We need everybody to survive. We need everybody to be watching on Sundays at 8 o'clock Eastern on the CW and again on the CW app too, by the way. So really quickly before I let you yes. go, uh, favorite scene ever filming the show so far? Ooh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I already said it, but I'm going to have to go unicorn nipple scene. <laughs> that was a wild day, and it was fun working with everybody, and I really was. I did feel a little bit like Mel Gibson in Braveheart, having my limbs pulled from two sides. There was, like, a very strong pull on my left arm, and the whole, the, all the other, I, you know, I guess it was Zari, Sarah, Ray trying to remember i think it was four characters pulling my arm mm -hmm. on the other side and and screaming all afternoon it was great <laughs> that's just the kind of thing you can expect from dc's legends of tomorrow again make sure you're watching eight o'clock eastern every sunday night on the cw adam Sackman, who plays gary man thank you so much for taking the time today a real pleasure Dan. thank you very much
All the best to you. And you guys are really going to love this week's upcoming episode. And you want to talk about hijinks. There's a ton of that, as there always is, on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, which you can now watch every Sunday at 8 o'clock Eastern Time on The CW. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast, once again, brought to you by Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. And I remember the last time I had Green Chef, how easy it was to get these recipes together and I, with my cooking with, with my wife, which I love to do, and somebody who has to eat gluten-free because of health reasons, Green Chef made it really easy to be able to do that with the meal plans that they have. Green Chef is also owned by HelloFresh, which is also sponsoring the show right now. So you get kind of the best of both worlds, right? You get a chance to try out both who have their different, a little bit different approaches to their meal kits, but both offering just amazingly delicious food. As a matter of fact, Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit company. So that means clean ingredients that you can trust. But the biggest time saver for me and my family was the fact that everything's pre-measured, it's perfectly portioned, and it's just prepped. So you're spending less time chopping and all this other stuff, and you're just throwing things in there according to the recipes that they give you. So that's a huge time saver, especially I've got little kids running around who want their mom, who want their dad, and don't want us spending as much time in the kitchen. Green Chef is perfect for helping my family out with that. Plus, if you're a vegan or vegetarian, they can cater to that as well. Keto, paleo. If you're following a diet, chances are Green Chef has something for you. So how about if I help you out with $90 off, including free shipping to try Green Chef. Go to greenchef.com slash 90 nerdy. That's greenchef.com, the number 90 nerdy, or use code 90 nerdy to get $90 off your first order plus free shipping. You're going to spend less time in the kitchen plus trying some recipes that you might have never tried before. I am eyeballing this Zaatarin spiced pork chop in the keto paleo meal kit. I can't wait to try that thing when it gets to my door. I could tell you that right now, but based on my past experience with Green Chef, I know that this food is going to taste amazing. So make sure you go to greenchef.com slash nerdy90 and use code nerdy90 to get $90 off your first order, including free shipping with Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Again, thanks to Adam Seckman joining me, talking DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Up next, how about my review of Star Wars The Bad Batch. Got spoilers coming at you too next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Ray Chase, the voice of Noctis in Final Fantasy XV, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to follow our programming and give you a spoiler-ish review of the premiere of Star Wars The Bad Batch, the big premiere that happened on May the 4th. Be with you. The first question I want to address right here, though, before I get to a little bit of spoiler talk is, do you need to watch anything to be able to watch this and enjoy it? I mean, having knowledge of the Clone Wars is is helpful. If you've watched the Clone Wars series, that would be helpful. But if you're a Star Wars fan in general, if you if you know the canon of Star Wars, you can watch this and enjoy it and come in fresh. At least I think you can. Anyway, I mean, obviously you would meet Clone Force ninety nine in the Clone Wars, but you don't. Again, it's not an absolute requirement. But I mean, Hunter Record Tech. Echo and Crosshair are your Clone Force. Of course, they're the, they're the defects, but they have enhanced abilities that they were that they ended up getting. So the series actually takes place 
at the very end of the Clone Wars, like literally when Grievous is taken out, that's it. And that's the birth of the Empire. Order 66 is executed with literally and figuratively because a spoiler alert, that was the order to eliminate all the Jedi. The cool thing about the Bad Batch, though, is they seem to be immune to this typical clone programming that just makes them follow whatever the Empire wants them to, although some are more susceptible to that than others, and that's part of the thing that you'll see as you watch this. I'm not going to spoil everything, and I'm not going to go through point by point, but, I mean, it's funny how... It's, a, it's funny how when you meet kids, how things change, right? And that certainly happened in The Mandalorian. There's a little bit of that going on here when they meet when the Bad Batch group meets Omega, who is a girl on, on, the ba- on their home base. And all of a sudden, kind of the perspective changes. Obviously, they were questioning what was going on anyway, but meeting this little girl actually definitely changed things. You see General Tarkin that's involved in this as well. Not a clone fan. That's knowledge that we know anyway although it's interesting to me that the fact that he rejected these clones you know the, the joke about the stormtroopers is as old as time right about how they miss that they, they you know they could be terrible at the jobs things like that and if he just stuck with the clones instead of going with recru- recruited stormtroopers how would the things have been different for the empire have you thought about that i mean think about how much more savage the first order troopers were than your stormtroopers during the Empire days. The stormtroopers of the First Order were much better than the Empire stormtroopers. And the clones were much better than the Empire stormtroopers storm too. So if Tarkin hadn't rejected the clones in the first place, imagine where things would have been. I'm just saying. Just saying. There's something to be... Th- there, there's an argument to be made there. But it, it's the, the last straw for the Bad Batch is when they go on that mission to take out these insurgents. And they find out who these insurgents really are. I don't know if I want to spoil the cameo that we see or not. No, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to spoil it, but the, there's a character from Star Wars Rogue One. I'll tell you that much, that you're going to meet just really, really quickly, and it helps them kind of turn their perspective. And then it kind of gets into a typical... This is something we see in Star Wars a lot. I don't know if I call it a trope so much, but we'll go ahead and go with something that we see commonly, and that is that there's a group that now they're on the run, and they have to decide exactly what side they're on and who they want to be. There's dissension in the ranks of this group as well, because obviously, you know, the the only thing they ever knew was the Republic. Now the Republic is the Empire, and, you know, that's the side they've been on for a while, but now that side has changed. Will they change with it, or will they they walk their own path? That's the cool thing about this Bad Batch, though. One of the things I really love about them is that they walk to the beat of their own drum, man. I mean, they've got some great skills. They've got great camaraderie, but they are not afraid to do their own thing and walk their own path, regardless of the consequences. Not to mention, they are just damn good at what they do. You see some of the stuff that happens in these action sequences that they're a part of and all the things that they're able to do as a small group. Absolutely incredible. You want to talk about it, and it just goes to show you how something that can be seen as a defect is actually superior to the original product. That's the funny thing here is that they're actually the superior group of the clones, and yet they're considered the defectives. That's the crazy thing here. Or are they defective or are they not? I guess that's one of the things that the series will get to at some point, right? That's one of the things that could be addressed. But we do get to see that they can be altered. 
that much I'll tell you. I, and again, I don't really want to spoil anything. If you haven't seen it, I won't spoil anything big anyway. They can be altered. Let me just put it that way. I won't say who, I won't say what, but things can definitely change depending on uh, who you talk to, literally and figuratively. So, I mean, I got to say, I enjoyed it. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as a lot of other fans did. I know it's got like a perfect rating score as of me recording this on Rotten Tomatoes. Was it perfect? I don't know that it was perfect. I think it dragged on a little bit in the middle. I thought there were some good beats. I thought there was some good action. I love the camaraderie between the group. I love the individual characters. Wrecker is hilarious. Love that dude. He's just crazy off the wall. I like I, I like Tech. I like Hunter. Crosshair frustrates me to no end, but I get it. I get his place in the group. That's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to frustrate me. So that is the beauty part of that character. But again, I don't think it was perfect. I think there are some typical beats that we've seen in other Star Wars programming here as well. How that deviates as the episodes continue to go on, I think will be the key to how good the series is. Judging it on its surface, though, for the from this first extended premiere, not perfect, but pretty darn good. And definitely something I'm going to look forward to watching every week. So now remember, the weekdays are not typical for this series, right? So we're going to get, we've gotten another new episode that's up right now on Disney Plus because May the 7th, so every Friday, we're going to get a new episode of Star Wars The Bad Batch. So make sure you're watching that new episode and be talking about this this show throughout its season. And if anything big happens, I'll pop back on and talk about it. But I would say it's very solid, but not perfect first start for The Bad Batch. But I can't wait to see what these misfits are going to get themselves into. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by StoryWorth. And Mother's Day weekend is this weekend. Maybe you've gotten to spend a lot of time with your mom in the, over the past year, or maybe you haven't seen your mom in the past year. I've been very fortunate to have my mom around for the past year and get to spend a lot of time with her. Actually, throughout my life, I've been able to do that. But whether you've been able to do that or not, StoryWorth has something very interesting that you could give your mom for Mother's Day, and it's a way to basically preserve memories and maybe learn something about, you know, mom or your dad, grandmother, aunt, whoever that you might want to share this with. And once a week, StoryWorth will email them questions that you've never thought to ask, or you can ask questions of your own. Then they reply with a story and share it with you every week. But here's the kicker that I love. At the end of the year, they're actually going to bound these stories into an amazing, keepsake book that you'll have and you want to talk about preserving memories but having something beautiful that you can actually pass down to generations of your family that might have never been able to meet this person at all that is one thing that i really think is very unique about story worth there's so many different ways that you could learn more about someone that you might see every day but you know life can be busy there's certain things that i still don't know about my mother like is there is there something that she's always wanted to learn to do but she's never gotten a chance to do it my mom actually was actually really into ballet at one point what would her life have been like if she decided to try to become a ballet dancer that's something i would love to have her tell a story about and maybe just learn more about why she was so passionate about that but there might be a question that you just never thought to ask and story worth can not only help you out with that but help you preserve those memories for years and years to come. You never know how you might be surprised every week. And you can give your mom the most meaningful gift this Mother's Day 
with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to StoryWorth.com slash down and nerdy. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's StoryWorth.com slash down and nerdy for $10 off. And just think about the possibilities. You can grow closer to your mother, to your grandmother, and be able to relive those memories and pass them down for generations to come with StoryWorth. That'll do it for my spoiler-ish review of Star Wars The Bad Batch. Up next, we're going to go to a spoiler-free review of Jupiter's Legacy, the first season from Netflix, next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, it's Jake Manley from Netflix's The Order, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to see who can live up to the legacy. It's time for my spoiler-free review of Jupiter's Legacy from Netflix, the adaptation of the Mark Millar and Frank Quietly story. And I'm going to do this spoiler-free since it just dropped today. I certainly don't want to reveal anything big. But it's funny because Jupiter's Legacy and the way that you might perceive the series, I think, is a bit misleading because... You know, obviously it's talking about this original generation of superheroes of the Union, as they call themselves, like a version of the Justice League. And now it's time for their kids to start taking up the mantles and, you know, keeping the world safe and what comes with that. But it's I think it's more to it than that, really. There's much more to this show than that. I want to talk about that on its surface here before I get to the timelines and all that different stuff. It's not just about the kids taking over for the parents it's how the world it's it's how the world has changed and how things might have evolved and how they might see the world differently from their parents which is something that kids just do in general right as the world evolves and changes maybe the way that the kids see it is going to be a little bit different now are they right or wrong in their thinking that's a debatable topic and that's one of the things that the show gets into there's a big debatable topic about one very specific thing when it comes to superheroes that the old guard believes in that the new guard might not necessarily believe in and who's right and who's wrong that is up for debate and it's a pretty big topic too by the way so i i think it's that i also think it is the the pressures that go along with not just being these legacy of heroes and and yes that is a big part of it but also the pressure that goes along with being a hero in general. And you have to keep in mind that how long the parents have been doing this is a hell of a lot longer than these kids have been doing it. So that's the other thing, too, is that they've got a decades head start on these kids who are now becoming heroes. And it's not just a snap of the fingers type of situation, especially since the he- the, the villains themselves are getting bigger and badder as well. So that's a huge part of it. And then, you know, what that can do to you psychologically as as one of these ch- as one of these children. It's interesting. It's also interesting to me to watch who has a good relationship with their kids and who doesn't as far as the union is concerned because just because you're a big hero to the world doesn't mean that you're a hero to your kids because if you're off saving the world, guess where you're not? That's right, with your family. And that's another thing that plays a role here, too. Obviously, a pretty darn good excuse for not being around, right? Because, you know, hey, there's a comet hurtling towards the planet. Not talking about something that's actually happening in the show, by the way. I'm talking about a completely hypothetical situation here. But, you know, comet hurtling towards the planet that mom and dad have to go take care of 
you know, you kind of understand how you might be able to miss a soccer game or two or two when something like that happens. But at the same time, how does the kid feel about that? Right. So that that kind of plays a role in this as well. So there's a lot going on. And then the interpersonal relationships between this original group, too, and how they're affected by their kids and how their kids see the world, I think, is also very, very interesting and how they see each other too, by the way. But you, you see how these pressures can take their toll, especially on the Samson family. It's a huge difference as to how the, each kid handles what their legacy is in that family. So that, that, to me, is a huge part of what's going on here. It's not just, you know, what's going to happen with the bad guys. It's about interpersonal and family relationships, a huge part of that. And not just in this present timeline, but in the past timeline, as well as we kind of see the origin story of Utopian, of Lady Liberty, of Brainwave, and of Sky Fox, and of the Flare, and of Blue Bolt. You see all of these things. And I will say this, if I have one criticism for this series, it's that the past timeline is put together much better, I think, and just feels like it flows much better than the present timeline. I feel like the present timeline's a little bit all over the place. I feel like there's times where actually stuff kind of gets left out and all of a sudden you're at a certain point point, you go, wait a minute, how did we get there? Like, how did this happen? Did I miss something? And I just feel like there were, there were times where we kind of skipped ahead a little bit and there was assumptions that were supposed to be made by the audience that maybe they're going to make or maybe they're not. Now, does that derail the story? No, but when you see how well put together the storyline in the past is, and then you go to the present, it's a little bit distracting. So that's my only real criticism for the show is that this past timeline, I found myself wanting to go back there more, not just because it was super interesting how they got these powers. And it's not just one of those things where, you know, you just happen upon it, right? There's a lot that they had to go through to get these powers, especially Sheldon Sampson. You can understand how Sheldon feels the way he does later on in life, based on what he, he of all of them, had to go through to get these powers. They all had to go through some a lot of stuff, but Sheldon more than most. And Josh Dumel does such a fantastic job in this role, both as Utopian and Sheldon Sampson. But I got to tell you, Leslie Bibb, you'll fall in love with Leslie Bibb because she is... She's got like Lois Lane and Wonder Woman wrapped into one person in this series, in her performance. I think that it was just such a great job done by her. And, and of course, you, if you're a Timeless fan like I am and you see Matt Lant- Lanter as George, as Sky Fox, and you see the blonde hair, it throws you off for a minute, but then you kind of get used to it, right? And then you see his Sky Fox and you're like, whoa, this is totally different for him, right? So I think he does a very good job. As well, and the way that you see the dynamic between George and Sheldon's brother Walter, who becomes Brainwave, you see that dynamic playing off of each other in this series. I think that that's really interesting. But then in the present day, you've also got Hotch, who plays a major role. I have him down here as Stick Traveler. I know that's not what his name is, but that's how I remember who he is. And he is he's very important for a lot of reasons in this series. There's a couple big surprises that you'll find out about him as well, but you also see how his perspective changes and he's, you know, kind of a, I don't know, you, do you call him a villain? Do you not call him a villain? I guess that's something that you can debate 
on on this too. But you know, and he's got his own crew that he has to try and manage, and and that's a sticky situation. And you see how all the young heroes get along together. It's just very interesting how all these inter, interpersonal relationships can affect things, powers or no powers. And then of course you've got your big bad in Black Star, or is that the big bad? Maybe. Maybe not. That's one of the beauty parts about this series is that you've got this big, bad villain, but are they really the problem? And that's one of the things you're going to have to try and figure out as you're going on and watching the series. And another great performance I want to point out, too, is by Andrew Horton, who plays Paragon and Brandon. And something that happens very early on in the series and how Brandon deals with that and you see how that evolves throughout this first season and not not to mention just that but also being the son of lady liberty in utopian and how he deals with it i again i think just a great performance there there's a lot of very good performances in this series there's a lot of very good storytelling to be had and it leaves you wanting more it certainly left me wanting more i wanted to go right to the next set of episodes but guess what we're gonna have to wait and find out what's going to it's going to be a while before we're going to find out what's going on so it's a very different vibe for a superhero series obviously we've seen these themes dealt with before but i love how they played the origin story past timeline with this present timeline and the way that the or i could have watched just the origin story and had that be the first season and i would have been happy that's how well done that was but this present day storyline also brings up a whole different set of problems and storylines to tell, and they do connect together quite nicely as you head towards the end. So I got to tell you, I enjoyed Jupiter's Legacy a lot. Definitely lived up to the hype for me. I can't wait to see what could be happening in a potential second season. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Jupiter's Legacy from Netflix. Up next, we'll talk about some comics real quick on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's Alexander Tefengi. You're listening Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you're reading about the future or the past, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And I want to jump in to The Good Asian, number one from Image Comics and Porn Sack. Piche Shout doing the writing here. Alexander Tefingi on the art. Lee Lords on the colors. And Jeff Powell on the letters. Great cover, too, by the way, by Dave Johnson. Now, this takes place in 1936 San Francisco, and we find ourselves at Angel Island, where Chinese, where Chinese basically entering the U.S. are kind of kept in question to make sure they have the proper papers to enter. And I'll get into why that is here in just a second. But the character we meet is Edison Hark, who apparently is pretty well connected, and actually gets out of this, you know, detainment area a little bit early because of who he knows. Now it turns out who he knows is a rich guy named Mason Carraway. And that just kind of gets him right out of there. And, and Frankie Caraway, too, by the way, who is his son. That is kind of how he gets out of there in the first place. Now, what I didn't tell you about Edison Hark is that he is a detective in San Francisco. And an Asian detective at the time, I mean, talk about very, very rare. That definitely is. And you get to see the effects of that in this story. Now, He's actually looking for a woman that this Mason Carraway, spoiler alert here, fell in love with. And that was one of his maids named Ivy, Ivy, who kind of stormed out after a disagreement that they had. So now he's trying to find her. And you think that that's the crux of the mystery, right? 
but it's not as much of the mystery as you think it is because he actually ends up stumbling upon something much bigger and could have a way bigger consequence than what he's looking into. Not that that's not important to him personally for certain reasons that you find out when you read this, but because, just trust me on this, it could have huge impacts going forward. This book actually really dives in to the lingering effects of the Chinese Exclusion Act, which, I mean, Google it, look it up, you'll figure out what it is. Uh, you don't you don't need me sitting here for like 20 minutes giving you a lecture on it, but uh, it's also telling a compelling pre-World War II era San Francisco mystery. It hits the time period really, really well. It also hits on the harsh reality of said time period. But this story also has this layered detective story that really keeps you interested in that part of the story as well. So there's a duality here that I think is balanced really, really well. The art really does a good job at selling that setting too, but that should be no surprise with how good Alexander Tefengi is. And I love how the colors actually focus on Hark's observation skills. It really zeroes in on that. So I think that this has this book has a lot of good things going on for it. I think you'll be intrigued by it. Go ahead and check it out for yourself. The Good Asian Number 1 from Image Comics. It's been a while since I've been able to talk about a Victor Laval story on the show. How about Eve Number 1 from Boom Studios, written by Laval, with art from Jomi Jong. The illustrations there, Brit- Brittany Peer on the colors, and World Design doing the letters. Now we meet young Eve and her father, and they live in some sort of vault. And what we're told at the time is an island. Maybe a little bit of spoilers in this review, by the way. Now, we're not sure what they're doing there until Eve's, Eve's dad kind of places her in this suspended animation tank. And then before she knows it, an unlimited non- non- amount of time has passed. And she kind of wakes up to a talking android teddy bear. That freaked me out if I was like 11, 12 years old. So she learns that she has a mission to do, though, and that the world isn't as she remembers it, it's actually kind of heartbreaking when she finds out exactly what happens. Now, this book definitely feels like it's going to be making a statement about climate change. That seems obvious when you're reading it, but it's also got an adventure aspect to it as well. And Laval actually says in the in the latter part of this book and, and kind of the afterward that he writes that this is certainly not meant to be nonfiction, and he actually says that. But I also feel like this is going to raise awareness of what could happen over time. And that, that is something that if you're interested in this, this might be a story that really is something that's going to interest you. Now, Eve is an incredibly likable character. I mean, incredibly likable. You want to root for her almost immediately. She's got such a great personality. I actually got upset when I found out how her whole situation unfolded and what happened to her. So, so, and right away, I just fell in love with her. And there also has to be a reason though, that all of this happened. And I think that's something that we're going to unravel over time. Really good art too. I actually love the design for Wexler, the teddy bear and the reason behind it, I think was really, really fun as well. So, I mean, while this story is certainly going to tackle some serious issues, I think there's a real fun and adventurous aspect to this character that I think you're really, really going to love. So make sure you're checking this one out to Eve. Number one from boom studios. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. There's some comics being adapted, and we'll talk about those. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is B.B. Wong from Gotham, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Proof that there's room for more than one assassin in the family. It's time for nerd news. And Dark Horse Comics announced this week 
that Lady Killer was being adapted to the screen. And that's really exciting because I love Lady Killer. It's one of the f- books that made me fall in love with Dark Horse Comics in the first place. Yeah, I know it's late to the party, but don't blame me. I've been making up for it ever since. So the Joel Jones and Jamie S. Rich story going to be adapted by Diablo Cody, the Academy Award-winning Diablo Cody, by the way, going to be writing the screenplay. And Blake Lively is actually set to star in the adaptation. will also be a producer on the project as well. You also have producers from Dark Horse Entertainment that are going to be on board. And remember, Netflix has a first-look deal with Dark Horse, but it wasn't specified in this press release that it was going to be coming to Netflix. But, I mean, it seems like that's a likely possibility. So I'm sure that that'll be confirmed sooner rather than later. If you're not familiar with Lady Killer, it actually follows a character named Josie Schuler, who is, you know, seems like the ordinary 1950s housewife, right? But no, she's actually killing people. She's a trained, a trained killer for hire. So, I mean, hey, Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. Now Blake Lively is Lady Killer. Not only would this make an awesome crossover, by the way, at least I think it would. I think that this is a crossover that would be really cool to happen. It's like a one-off if Marvel and Dark Horse could, you know, kind of come to terms on that and play nicely. I think that could be a lot of fun. I think promoting this is going to be a lot of fun, though. And I actually think Blake Lively is going to do a fantastic job in the role. I think that she actually is very underestimated. And this is a little darker than some of the stuff that she's done previously, but she's definitely got that badassery about her. I think it's really going to suit this, but at the same time, I could see her filling that 1950s role very, 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 very well, too. So I'm really excited for this Lady Killer being one of my favorites. And I just hope that they can get the look right on screen. I'm sure that they will. Diablo Cody doing the screenwriting and being part of this process, I'm sure, will make sure that that happens. So I think that this one is going to be a huge, huge win for Dark Horse. And wherever this ends up, likely Netflix below, I have to wait and make sure that's confirmed. Here's a project that I thought was pretty much dead in the water. And now it looks like it is alive and well. And that is the Red Sonja reboot movie that is from Millennium. And I say that because the Hollywood Reporters reported this week that they have their star now. They have their Red Sonja. And it is Hannah John Kamen. If you recognize that name, she played Ghost in Ant-Man and the Wasp. She was just in SES Red Notice with Sam Hewen, which, you know, we covered quite, quite a bit. And she was amazing in that. You know her because when you see her, she steals the scene in almost everything that she's in, right? She's the one that you kind of remember and be like, oh, wow, yeah, she was amazing, even if she wasn't the star. Well, now she is the star. And Joey Soloway is going to be directing this one, co-writing the script, too, with Tasha Huo, who's working on the Tomb Raider anime series for Netflix. So, I mean, certainly... No, not really any similarities between Red Sonja and Laura Croft other than they're two badass female characters, but you know, just something to keep in mind. I think that this is going to be a good team to work on this. And there, it was very much specified that this Red Sonja will be based on the on the Dynamite Entertainment version of the character, not the earlier Marvel iteration. So this isn't like your... Red Sonja's not like your typical, you know, Conan the Barbarian type character and I say that with no disrespect to, to, to Conan because I, I actually love Conan the Barbarian but there's a little bit more of a swagger to Red Sonja right and I mean while they're both while they both have their commanding presences there's just something a little bit different kind of command for a character like Red Sonja and you look at Hannah John Kamen 
and the roles that she's been in, whether hero or villain, you go, she has got that swagger. There's just something about her. And, 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 and look at those eyes. When you see her and you look at those eyes and you just picture her as Red Sonia, I can not only see it, but the mannerisms that she has in certain roles that I've seen her in, I think she is going to freaking knock this thing out of the park. Now, just because the role has been cast doesn't mean that this project is a sure thing. We know that, but at the same time, now I'm rooting for it even more because I know how good that she can be in this role. And I think that this is good news, quite frankly. So we'll see. Once the cameras start rolling, I'll feel better. But until then, I'm going to worry about this thing anyway. But I, I again, I think she's going to be absolutely incredible. I mean, we've seen Red Sonja on screen before. It's been a long time, and I definitely think it's a good time to bring the character back. Here's something that very much could be interesting moving forward and as far as the future of DC TV, and that is that Deadline reported this week that Pennyworth could be moving to HBO Max. Of course, Pennyworth has run now for two seasons on Epics. It might be one of the best shows that you're not watching. If you're not watching Pennyworth, you're really missing out on something really, really great. The Alfred Pennyworth, I guess you could call it Batman prequel because Thomas Wayne is in it too. But this is a great, great show with a really, really good cast. And the word is, is that there's negotiations ongoing right now between Warner Brothers Television and Epics about the previous two seasons, because even the previous two seasons aren't on HBO Max right now. So there's a deal being worked out there. And if there's a renewal, that renewal would get first look at HBO Max. And the the report says that there would be a second window for Epics. So it seems almost similar to what they did with DC Stargirl with DC Universe in the CW where it would air on DC Universe first, then it would air on the CW after the fact, like the next day. So it seems like it'd be a similar deal to that. And then, of course, you saw how that worked out for Stargirl and ended up being a CW exclusive in its next season. But it's kind of significant for a couple reasons. First of all, it feels like more and more that Warner Brothers wants to control their own programming when it comes to DC. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think they've got a good thing going with the CW. I think they've got a good partnership and obviously they've got you know Sandman at Netflix and they've got other shows going to to other places and some of that being DC but it seems like once their comfort level has run out with that arrangement they they tend to try and reel it in if it's something that they believe in and I think it's a it's a good thing that they clearly believe in Pennyworth if this report is true because it, to me I was wondering if we would get more Pennyworth at all, and it still hasn't been renewed yet, but the fact that this chatter is even happening tells me that somebody at Warner Brothers believes in this show and wants to see it continue, because I certainly want to see it continue, after, especially after the way that season two ended, and I won't say anything about that because I don't want to spoil anything, but this is a show that even, even if this didn't have a Batman connection, and it really doesn't yet, it, it's, a, it's a good story all on its own and great insight into the past of Alfred Pennyworth too, by the way, and how he ends up being who he is and maybe how he has some of the perspectives that he does. So if this goes to HBO Max, I think this really broadens the audience for Pennyworth because not, not a ton of people have epics. I I've, I've had epics for years because I like epics and, but they don't have a whole ton of original programming right now. So, I mean, they just announced the Billy the Kid series, and they've got a docuseries coming up as well, and they got a couple of others. Actually, Godfather of Har- Harlem's a really good show if you haven't seen that. But 
yeah, this this is a move that to me would make sense for Warner Brothers if they decided to make it and get more eyes on Pennyworth, and that might you know lead well to the future of the series. Really quickly, I want to talk about the Stranger Things season four teaser that Netflix released because again, this is always going to be a show that has more questions than answers until it actually airs. So you know, the, the big tease is that is Dr. Brenner, Matthew Modine's character, still alive because it seems like nobody dies. On this show, we find out that Hopper could ne- could still be alive, which I never thought he died anyway. If you heard my review of season three of Stranger Things, I never thought he was actually dead. So that's just me. But Dr. Brenner, we thought was very dead. But is he not? And so we see, you know, but but to me, I watch this and I'm like, OK, is Eleven using her powers to try and remember something from her past? And maybe to, instead of trying to track down Brenner, maybe she's trying to track down one of the other kids that was part of the the Hawkins lab and find out what's going on with them. Maybe they play a role in this. Are we going to get a bit, a bit of a prequel vibe in this season? Are we going to get more of that past stuff? Or is there something more to that? I, I don't think it's one of those deals where she's been caught or anything, and she's and she's like, you know, thrown in, in, in isolation or prison, for lack of a better term. I don't think that that's it at all. But I think it's interesting because it seemed like at the end of Season 3 we were teasing life outside of Hawkins, and now it feels like we're getting connected to Hawkins again. Or is there another lab that we didn't know about at all outside of Hawkins? And that's something that they feel like they need to deal with. Or they maybe they've opened another lab somewhere else with Brenner being alive. And now Eleven and the, and the group wants to put a stop to that. So there's several different angles that you can work here. It's going to be a while, I think, before we see season four of Stranger Things anyway, because it's still in production. So uh, we've got plenty of time to wait and pontificate and actually try and figure out what's going on here. But uh, again, it's Stranger Things. If you love it, you can't wait for it. And I'm definitely part of that group that really wants to see this show come back sooner rather than later. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks so much to my guests this week, Rochelle Neal and Vinny Heaven. Make sure you're watching The Nevers this Sunday on HBO Max and on HBO and of course speaking of some, right before that you should be watching DC's Legends of Tomorrow on the CW at 8 o'clock Eastern Time and check out what's going on with Gary and Adam Seckman who is doing a fantastic job already this season and again thanks to our sponsors Green Chef this week you want that $90 off get the promo code and go there also StoryWorth go to storyworth.com slash down and nerdy to get that $10 off deal there and find more information. You know, if, you have, if you're late onto the show, go back a little bit and get the get the promo codes for Green Chef because you know you got to get $90 off of food for your family and not too shabby there. Also find out what we've got going on at downandnerdypodcast.com and at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.